Greetings and salutations, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome back to Rogue Opinions Podcast. And today, we are diving right back into the SmackDown Hotel and checking ourselves back in to review another classic episode of SmackDown. Uh, my name is Jimmy Baxter, and as always, I'm joined by Scott McLeod. Scott, how are you? I'm doing good, man. I'm uh, slowly but surely getting over what I had to do for my last podcast for these for Rogue Opinions, the punishment I had to endure to watch ECW December to dismember. It's never felt so good to be just classified as a winner, really. Um, that I that I, I again was able to escape the clutches of December to dismember to the 2006. Uh, but overall, you guys survived, thankfully, so couldn't yeah. have been as bad as I remembered it. Yeah, like very little of that podcast, if you listen to it, very little is edited other than the music, like, as pure raw like our 100% of our suffering is in that podcast all the tears all the anguish all the heartbreak <laughs> brought to you fresh from rogue opinions very much yeah um all right so we are here like i said to check ourselves into the smackdown hotel and uh go back and see episode 3 of smackdown it aired on the 9th of September, uh, 1999, and they come to you live and alive from Albany, New York, in the Pepsi Arena. But first, Scott, fill us in on some of the stuff that we may have missed from Raw. Okay, I think they do a pretty good job of recapping like the main stories on Raw on this show, but there are a few like fun moments, a few weird moments that happened on Raw that aren't really mentioned, which may get become relevant once we get to things like Unforgiven. Uh, we had a weird GTV segment where it's Big Show and Val Venus standing next to each other at the urinal. Val looks over and basically laughs and says, and they call you the Big Show, which annoys the Big Show. So he beats the hell out of Val, which the funniest thing about this segment is he beats up Val and then he proceeds to wash his hands before leaving. So even when someone insults you, hygiene is always the top priority when it comes to the Big Show. <laughs> so this leads... Val challenging Big Show to a match. Big Show destroys Val, which brings out Steve Blackman uh, to then attack him after the match. And then Blackman has a really short match with D'Lo Brown later on, which sees uh, Mark Henry on commentary. He comes down with two women who Daryl Lawler won't stop talking about and asking if they're European because Mark Henry is the European champion. And you'd be forgiven for forgetting that because there's been zero mention of Mark Henry, D'Lo Brown, or the zero, a uh, or the European title on the match so far. Yeah, we haven't, we've yet to see that belt even in a passing glance on SmackDown. Yeah, deal one because as he was arguing with Mark Henry, who said commentary, Val Venus came out, hit Blackman with one of his own weapons, and then stole them, and then uh, Mark Henry attacked D'Lo after the match. We had, uh, we, they mentioned it on this show, but we had the Hollies versus the New Brood or the Hardys who have the whole Brood entrance but come out to the Hardys theme song, which does not work at all. It's like when you, if you made a new wrestler and uh, the creator see one of the games, you give them one entrance type but different music type. So they come out to different, like a mixed match of entrances. It just doesn't work at all. Yeah, sometimes those elements, uh, we see it a little later in uh, SmackDown, but it just seeing some of those elements mixed together doesn't always uh, give you a particularly enjoyable uh, end result. Before the match happens, uh, they 
Holly's come out with their scale because they believe they're super heavyweights. So they asked the Hardys to step on the scale to make sure they meet their requirements. And obviously they don't. To which Bob Holly points at Gangrel and says, Hey, Dracula, what about you, you fat bastard? What do you get up on the scale? <laughs> uh, and you think, if you think Gangrel's bad now, Jesus, you see him now. You'll probably meet the requirements, Jesus. To think, to think that after all the years of like Thurman Sparky Plug and the New Midnight Express or whatever the tag team he or the yeah whatever tag team he was in with Bark Gun uh, in like ninety seven ninety eight uh, to for him to like come out with this scale and just rip into people like how he didn't come up with that earlier and just start doing it like he uh, I mean we'll we'll get into it but he he says to China about those 200 pounds uh 200 pound bags of silicone on her chest yeah I legitimately had to pause it I was laughing so hard yeah I mean I remembered it a few times because I loved it but the Hardys I believe get the win in this match but then uh, Crash unfortunately receives a bloodbath after the match to which we said argument between him and Hardcore because Hardcore just starts laughing at him and they're teasing the whole the cousin fighting all the time. One of the last things that they don't really talk about on this show is we had a random, we kept time as the first ever women's hardcore match, which was just basically a long extended backstage brawl between uh, Tori and Ivory. And I think it was, for most part, it was just played up for laughs, like them fighting in the fighting in the bathroom, Tori trying to wash out Ivory's mouth with soap. And then it got weirdly violent at the end where Ivory wins by just picking up a mirror and just smashes it over Tori's head. And that's how she wins. And then she continues to beat her down after the match and, like, starts tries to burn her with an iron as well, which, like, the whole match was played fast. And then as soon as it ends, it suddenly turns into this really violent, really violent thing. Like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, they weren't, they weren't pulling any punches with the first ever hardcore women's match. You know, there's even a point where they go into the men's locker room briefly just for the men, so the men could watch the women fight and then just wander off again, like, and then you suddenly change the tone so drastically at the end. Yeah, yeah. I mean, for them to take such a hard left turn, I mean, I guess it plays into the way, you know, 1999 WWF was going at the time. But, like, geez. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think most of it, or the rest of the show, is, like, recapped quite a lot on uh, on SmackDown. Like, there was a point where Howard Finkel uh, tries to take, uh, take over Lillian's job as ring announcer, takes the notes and starts introducing the following contest and then realises it's a Ken Shamrock match and immediately immediately shits himself to which then <laughs> to which then Jericho then challenges him to meet him face to face on Smackdown and we will see the aftermath of that tonight I think that's all we really need to talk about on Raw like all that small stuff but like I do believe like the European title is gonna like be on the line at Unforgiven, but like you wouldn't know that if you're just watching SmackDown. Yes, which which I'm doing for the most part. I'm just uh, just watching the SmackDowns because I'm already watching like earlier Raws, and I don't want to get too confused about the stuff that's going on. So that's why uh, that's why you're here to help help <laughs> help all of us out. Yeah. Weird. Over the last week, I think I've watched more Raw over on SmackDown from '99 than I have of 2019 in the last week. It is a, it is you know a slow transition here in 2019. <laughs> yeah. Um, but we we move back all the way 20 years to 1999 in the beginning of September 
Uh, as I said, location is Albany, New York at the Pepsi Arena. And the show opens up with Kane uh, attempting to enter the building, and he is attacked by Triple H in China. Uh, the big show tries to come to his aid, but gets a low blow for his trouble. And then we head inside the arena uh, before we get to uh, the opening in in arena segment. What did you make of the uh, opening video package from Kane entering the building? Yeah, it was cool. Also, he, just, he seems to be dressed in normal filling clothes, but just also has the mask on as well. Like that's the one thing they need to keep constant with Kane. And then I think they did a an angle on Raw where they had Undertaker and Big Show come out and help Kane and they did it again here, which I am not really understanding what Taker and Big Show's motivations are. And I said, do they mention the fact that Kane and Big Kane and Triple H teamed up on Raw later on? I remember. I I don't remember if they I nothing stood out to me as them saying uh that they had teamed. I, I, it had been just sort of haphazardly mentioned that um, Triple H is putting the title on the line against uh, Kane a little later on. But yeah, because um, uh, Kane was made a team with X Pac on the opening match of Raw and to take on the Rock and so for the tag titles, and then X Pac just never came out. And then Triple H randomly teams with Kane, and there's not really any vision to where X Pac is. And then Triple H just hits Kane with a sledgehammer at the end to cost him the match. Oh, okay. All right. Uh, I guess that gives a little bit more reasoning behind uh, the title match that we'll be seeing a little later on tonight. Um, so, uh, first uh, in arena segment is uh, the world's biggest asshole, Big Boss Man, comes out. <laughs> uh, and, he a- and he asks, who's the big dog now? Um, first of all, Pepper was a very small dog. No one... Uh, <laughs> No one asked who the big dog was, and I think we all know who the big dog really is. <laughs> um, but you know that we have we have a little while to go until we see that particular dog on the screen. Um, he also says that no one is crazier than him, which I'm inclined to agree. If you're gonna yes. skin, cut up, and cut up another person's dog and make a stir fry out of it in a hotel room, which if we're led to believe that he made that food, um, I didn't see a hot plate. Or a stove anywhere in there, so I'm a little confused as to how that all worked out. Oh God, do you think he microwaved it? Oh, <laughs> uh, oh, I thought that would make it better. Um, so then he issues an open challenge for the Hardcore Championship. Uh, he says, "Any dog lovers back there?" Yada yada yada. And to my surprise, the British Bulldog answers the challenge. Um, th- this is obviously a point uh, in 1999 where uh, British Bulldog had made it very obvious that he was uh, looking to return to wrestling. And he said that, you know, he figured out a new style, this, that, and the other thing, but it is very obvious, even in this uh, upcoming short hardcore title match that he is not equipped for an in-ring return. Uh, and from what I remember, this doesn't last very long. Um, what was your reaction to the British Bulldog answering the hardcore open challenge? Yeah, this is one of the few moments on the show where even if you watch Raw, there's no context for this because uh, there's no mention of Bulldog anywhere on Roy. This is just so surprising. I don't think there's even that much of a pop when he first appears because I don't think the courage immediately processed that it's him coming out. Or maybe there's some that maybe didn't know who he was. But yeah, there's very much surprising. I think the way he kept tightening up Dog, I think like he was trying to make it obvious. But even then, like, he was still surprised when the Bulldog came out and... Yeah, I think he's definitely, you can definitely tell he's got a different style. He's coming out in just jeans and that because he was still suffering from a back injury that he got like the year prior. 
Yeah. Um, what did you make of that uh, that very 90s styled um, entrance music that he had when he came out? Yeah. Just, I, think I, I didn't realize the Bulldog came out to a version of the Courtmaster song from Frasier, but... <laughs> <laughs> Um, so as I said, the hardcore championship match, British Bulldog versus the world's biggest asshole, the big boss man, uh, Bulldog wins the hardcore title. Holy shit. Um, it doesn't take him very long to get that, uh, to get that title. Um, as I said, he's obviously not equipped for an in-ring return. Al Snow comes out dressed as Leaf Cassidy and shoves uh, a note that he had written earlier in the week on raw into the boss man's mouth and is awarded the hardcore title. Uh, by the British boss man, uh, the British boss man, the British bulldog. <laughs> Jesus. Um, with this match being as short as it was, did anything stand out to you in Bulldog's um, performance or just that it was meant to be a squash and then it was going to continue the Al Snow storyline? Yeah, I think it was maybe a clear squash. Like, you can definitely tell, like, it was May, just get the bulldog over and he's returned as, as if beating somebody up and. Just weird, like opening shows is like in the first ten minutes we had the whole cane thing in the parking lot, and then we had this return, and then like you said Al Snow coming out dressed as Lee Cassidy, and I think they recap the fact he came out as Avatar on Raw, and then suddenly realizes what he's doing, and he says, "Oh, not this again," and he said when he was this Avatar, like last time you dress, I was dressed like this, they could have stuck a magnet mask and put me through four knocks, and I still wouldn't have drawn money. Yeah, and and uh, it. The, the way that it, like, you made you made a very good point there is that like it goes from Kane getting attacked by Triple H in China to like this whiplash effect back into the the arena. This whole other thing happens. Um, Al Snow gets the hardcore title, and then they cut back to the outside, and Kane is now pouring gas on Triple H's car, pours it on Triple H in China. They scurry away. So it's like you're you're getting whiplash almost from. You know, here's this thing, and whoosh, here's that thing, and whoosh, here's that thing, and it's just if if I wasn't wearing a travel pillow around my neck, I think I would have been very sore this morning from uh, watching this episode of SmackDown last night. Um, so obviously, uh, finishing up the first match, Big Boss Man and uh, Al Snow are headed towards the dreaded uh, and revered uh, Kennel from Hell match at uh, Unforgiven on September 26th, just in case you forgot. Um, Presented by Magic the Gathering, obviously. Um, <laughs> so then we're we're gonna get Al Snow and the Big Boss Man thing continuing. Um, did it make a whole lot of sense for uh, Bulldog to just be like, uh, "Here, here's a belt for you. Have fun." Not really. No, just you know, like Bulldog. He has dog in his name, so obviously he doesn't like Boss Man and what he did. Like, I don't think you need to have the word "dog" in your name to be appalled by what Boss Man did, but. Even then, if you wanted to just beat up Boss Man, it'd make sense for me just give up the hardcore belt because I guess they didn't think it would harm the hardcore belt because it wasn't really meant to be taken seriously. And I think it's gonna, we're going to see in the months to come how not seriously that belt is going to be taken. Do you think Road Dog was kind of pissed off that he got looked over for uh, <laughs> for the opportunity to face Boss Man here because he was obviously looking for some dog lovers and. I don't know. I guess Road Dog was too busy uh, in the dog pound. Like, uh, like maybe he was on his way, but just Bulldog just rushed by him and he just got there just before him. I'd like to imagine that uh, Bulldog just from like the back was just like, oh, Brian, Brian, real quick. And then as Road Dog turns around, he just gets like 
shoved through a wall because of how like strong the British Bulldog was. And he's just like, all right, gotcha. I'm going to go out there now. Bye. <laughs> yeah, like I had to sit through the extreme elimination chamber and now I need to sit through the bloody kennel from hell match. I mean, can I get any worse? Can I get any lower than this? Oh, uh, well, I mean, it's one extreme to the uh, to the next there. Uh, and I'm sorry if you, I, I, I would, I would recommend maybe getting some like, like mood relaxers or just like something, something to help calm you down before we hit Unforgiven because it's going to be rough. Uh, you promised me that this would get better, didn't it? Just gets worse. Yeah. Oh, I, yeah, but I made sure to say it was going to get a whole lot worse before it got better. I don't think it ever gets better. <laughs> well, I mean, the thing that comes up, I mean, spoilers, but the thing that comes up later in the year with a uh, big show and boss man, that's actually kind of fun. <laughs> Yeah, I guess. Um, so as I said, after that, Kane is shown pouring gas onto Triple H's car, and then he pours some on Triple H. There's a lot of flipping around and overselling, and uh, Kane ends up like whipping a Zippo, like at which I mean, I don't care if it's a Zippo or a Bic, like you're not gonna the flame's gonna go out. Like I'm not exactly sure what Kane was going for there, but the Triple H and uh, Kane China saga continues. Um, any thoughts on that uh, short little video from outside? Yeah, it just just seems to be quite extreme. Like how quickly it escalates, or they attack him and say, "I'm going to set their car on fire." But and again, that seemed to be Kane's thing. And I think it was just a nice continuation from uh, from Stone and Rover. Kane got attacked by Triple H at Star Roy. Came out at the end of the night. Chokeslam, Triple H, China, and Shane McMahon. So I guess it's just a nice like continuation. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we go back into the arena, uh, which, ladies and gentlemen, you know, make sure to keep some aspirin on you because your neck is going to hurt. We go <laughs> to the uh, the new brood, Matt and Jeff Hardy with Gangrel taking on Edge and Christian with Stevie Richards for reasons. Um, <laughs> the pin, the pin that they show in the recap that Christian got on Bradshaw, this may have been just because I was like half paying attention as I was jotting down notes, but it it looked like like Christian was just sort of out of there like well before the three count in that little recap, so it was a little bit of a questionable pin. Did you uh, clock that as well? Yeah, I guess not. No, I think you may have been paying attention to it more than I was, but again, raw much like SmackDown is just a hundred miles an hour, but. So yeah, that. I don't know if they mentioned it, but like they beat the acolytes, and then I think the Dud- acolytes had like a, quite a few backstage segments on Raw with the Dudleys, like the Dudleys attack them, and a backstage interview, and then they get re- uh, Dudley's response and another interview, and then the acolytes attack them again. So then see they're setting up a couple of different like tag feuds as we get towards Unforgiven on September twenty seventh, live on, only on pay per view. Um, <laughs> So uh, it, it's interesting to see that these uh, these teams go one on one very early on uh, in what would become a really historic set of matches between these two teams and the Dudleys um, action breaks down late in the match. And it's obvious that these two teams will go on to do great things. Um, 1999 refing is in full effect with Gangrel's <laughs> clothesline on the outside there. Um, there's a weird communication uh, from Matt and Jeff uh, not going for the cover and just sort of ripping a shirt off. I guess, you know, it's just one of those things where you got to hit those marks, brother. You got to make sure that uh, the ladies are as intrigued as the men. (laughs) Um, And I mean, Cole is just like beside himself on commentary, too. He's just like, I don't understand. 
I don't understand. Like, why is he not going for the cover? I don't know why he sounds like Jimmy Stewart in my head, but like, <laughs> that's uh, that's that's how it came across to me. Uh, Baby Michael Cole sounds like Jimmy Stewart from now on. Um, but but yeah. So, how interesting was it for for you to go back and see these two teams uh, squaring off uh, even before any of their historic matches? Yeah, it was weird because um, it was just this seemed like a random like throwaway uh, match for like TV because. Judging Christian are already the number one contenders for the tag titles. And I was worried about how this would come across as just a regular TV match because we know what they're going to do later on. Cause, and in the SmackDown pilot, we had, they had another match, but that just that was like two minutes at most. And so there wasn't really much to that. But I think this is much better than that. They got a lot more time. And I think we just got, we got, we saw a little bit of what is to come. And there was no context given for why Steve Richards uh, like he wasn't even on Raw with Edge and Christian like so he just comes out I think he just decided to tag along to help them with Gangrel even Edge and Christian didn't, didn't look like they knew why he was there yeah and it's just it seems like at this time that uh they were just sort of trying to find like slots for these ECW guys to fill mm-hmm. um you know I mean we see it with uh I mean uh Blue Meanie sort of like haphazardly walked to the ring last week in that, that gauntlet match. And, uh, you know, Stevie Richards was on last week, but that he was not dressed like Gangrel at the time. So hopefully this uh, carries on a little bit and we can see what comes of this. Uh, Edge and Christian get the, uh, get the win off of like a, a slight little fuck up from the Hardy boys where, uh, I, I believe it was Jeff came off the, uh, the ring, the, 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 the guard, the guard rail on the outside, and uh, clotheslined Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy gets rolled back into the ring and gets pinned. Um, just after the pin, lights go down and Kane appears to murder everybody everywhere. <laughs> um, after he's done murdering everybody, he speaks and says he will burn the flesh from Triple H's body. Boom. And the uh, pyro goes off. Um, so what did you make of uh, the, the finish of the match and then the post-match angle? So I just went to and so I just realized that so that was unforgiven earlier in the year that they had a random match that had like was given like two mats. I was thinking because I said this match didn't part there, and that's when the brood, the brood like broke their silence and cut that terrible promo. So just trying to correct myself there. But uh, as for the match, it was decent, and obviously Edge and Christian were the right winners because they are the number one contenders. And as for Kane, I, I love this segment because Kane is my favorite wrestler and this is back when he was still being booked as a believable monster and he's just taking his anger on everybody kind of gives me flashbacks to the episode of raw from like the year before where he just kept coming out and interrupting matches and just choke slamming people and then he challenges triple h and he's gonna get that title shot later on and triple h has just been busy this week because on raw he was in the main event defending against billy gunn before Kane came out and chokeslammed him, Shane and China. He's like, and if you watch that match, Billy Gunn has never looked better. Even when he won King of the Ring, has he ever looked better than that match with Triple H? Well, yeah, they didn't. They obviously didn't have uh, very much um, confidence in one Mister Ass. Uh, they they just destroyed him when he got put up against The Rock. I mean, he wins King of the Ring and then just gets treated like you know garbage uh, after that. But what do you think of uh, the new gear? That uh, that your boy is sporting there, uh, Kane coming out looking sleek. The reds are popping, you know. Mm-hmm. 
Sorry. No, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, it's kind of the reverse of his usual gear, like the kind of black is where the red usually was and vice versa. So I think it's cool. It's a nice like he'd wore that he wore that quite a few times around this time, like late to late ninety nine, start two thousand. I think it's quite cool. I think it's this is almost more menacing than his usual gear. Yeah, yeah, I always really enjoyed the uh, like this tone of red on that like this costume of his. I re- I've always really enjoyed this one. So it'll be it'll be fun to see all the different little incarnations of Kane as we move forward. Um, but uh, after Kane is finished murdering everybody and setting off Pyro, uh, Lillian Garcia is with uh, Bulldog, who just straight up no sells her questions and leaves. Um, the grave for the uh, Barrett Alive match uh, is shown again at ringside. We're getting the first ever WWF tag team title match, Buried Alive match, that we'll get in the main event of the evening. Um, and then, like I said, guys, hold on to your necks because this is moving at 150 miles an hour. Uh, X-Pac is shown arriving and looking for Kane. And then after the break, as I flip my my notes over <laughs> after the break, Lillian, our intrepid reporter, definitely trying to usurp power from the great Kevin Kelly is <laughs> with uh, Triple H and asks him about the war Hunter started with Kane who promises to douse him in his own blood and that he's bringing the title and the sledgehammer with him. Um, so what do you make of this promo here where uh, there's a lot of like, I'm either going to burn the flesh off your body or I'm going to, you know, douse you in your own blood or cave your skull in with a sledgehammer. And also the title will be there. Uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like a, it almost seems like it's a background to like attempted murder. Yeah. Which, you know, I'm always a fan of attempted murder in wrestling. So uh, w- what are your thoughts on it? Yeah, the whole like threatening and they burn Triple H, you know, like, like a lot of the verbiage and promos like this, it still happens nowadays where basically when the people are threatening each other in wrestling, they don't talk how a regular human would. Like, you had bloody Drew McIntyre threatening to disembowel Cedric Alexander in this week's episode of Raw. So, like, it's nothing new, like the over the top threats. But I think it sits someone like Kane, William Garcia, I think she's better suited in this role than she was on Raw because. No offense, Lillian, she gets a bit better, but like she was not good and her role as ring announcer at this point because on Raw she was just uh she was awful. Like actually I was rooting for her to like, Yes, Howard, take your job back. <laughs> they they did not do a good job of uh keeping the Fink hated um <laughs> for too long because they did not have a very good ring announcer for a little while until she until she gets she does get very, very good. Um, because yeah. she's she's around for what ten years after this? I think like this is like the beginning of her like ten twelve year run. Mm-hmm. Um, so then uh, we cut back to the arena, uh, and a very subdued X Pac uh, comes out and uh, asks Kane to meet him in the ring. Uh, and Kane gets his full entrance again. Um, <laughs> yeah. It <laughs> it is announced that Kane and Triple H uh, will happen tonight for the title. Uh, and Kane just, you know, he's there to rap with him. He's there to like real talk with his boy. He says, you got to get your mind right, son. You got to, you got to have, uh, you, you, you have to do it without me. And then X-Pac breaks up with Kane for coming out and helping him last week. It's a very mm-hmm. somber moment. I, I went to reach for a pint of ice cream and, and, uh, tissues as I wanted to cry for my girl, like I'm mean, my guy, Kane. He he gets broken up with in the middle of the ring, and I felt bad for him. Uh, how did you feel about it? Yeah, I thought it was weird that like you said that they had to do the whole Kane gets his full entrance again, 
Like, I don't know why this couldn't have been like a backstage segment, or at least they couldn't have waited until like another match with him because this is like less than a couple of segments after Kane's just done the full. Like, he comes out threatening to burn Triple H, so like, I don't know why he had to do the full entrance again. And like, it's it's getting weird at this point with Kane Xbox because they had the tag titles, they lost them, they keep threatening to break up, and then they just constantly on and off to the Ross and Rachel the '99 tag team division at this point. <laughs> we're on great, a break for now great television romances of the 90s so you have ross and rachel x-pac and kane <laughs> um so after the um heartbreaking breakup in the center of the ring two masked men uh enter the arena who definitely aren't the fink and jericho um and it cuts to the hollies coming out with a scale uh hardcore says he's looking for a super heavyweight fight and uh he, he says some googly-eyed monkey needs to meet him in the ring. Um, and then I guess a googly-eyed monkey answers the, the challenge because China comes out. Um, I don't know. I don't want to speak ill of the dead, but I guess, you know, you, you hear googly-eyed monkey and then the next image you see is China. So, yodelay he who. Um, Hardcore says he doesn't want to wrestle a woman. And this is where he mentions that uh, 200-pound sacks of silicone. Um and then uh, China attacks Holly with the scale, like right in the dead small of the back. Like there's no way, even if she pulled that away at the right time, that had to feel good. Uh, what did you make before we get to the match? Like, what did you make of the hard, the, the hardcore and crash Holly promo and China coming out and all that fun nonsense? Well, this is another example of why China needs her own music, not because the commentators were trying to build up like. Cause she comes out of Triple H's theme song, which not only means that we have to hear my time again, and like they had to come to her, it's like, oh, it's Triple H answering the challenge. He's got a match with Kane later on, and then China comes out, like, and I was so surprised. Like, China's been fighting men since she arrived, so I don't know why they're still shocked she would answer like the challenge. Like, she's fighting a man at the pay per view on September 26th, don't forget. And I liked uh, her <laughs> promo, just the work continuation of like. You can clearly tell he's enjoying the gimmick where he just gets to insult people. Like he had the, the one on Gangrel and then he, he said the 200-pound bags of silicone on China. So Holly's clearly enjoying himself, but I do get the feeling he, he was serious. When you watch the match, he's quite serious with the idea. Like He does not like the idea of fighting a woman. And like it's it's very weird to me Like with this whole... like The difference between China when she's a singles competitor... And China when she's with Triple H. Because at the beginning of the show, she's low-blowing uh, the big show and helping Hunter escape uh, Kane as Kane's pouring gasoline on the car. And But then she comes out here and she's like, I am woman, hear me roar. I'm going for the Intercontinental title. And like I'm all about that and everything. But it's just like she seems almost split into two slightly different characters. One heel, one is a face. So, I, I don't know. It just it 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 strikes a very weird tone that she's sort of the face in this little story that she has going with um uh, Jeff Jarrett. Um, that come across at all to you that it was just sort of like weird and a little different. Yeah, like this clearly like they're not sure how to book Jarrett because they want to keep her with Triple H, but then now they they want her to go against Jarrett, and it seems they want her to be the face and Jarrett to be the heel, but then she comes in constantly low blowing like. The top good guys, like it's almost as if China's a split personality thing going, but she'll never top the great 
split personality wrestlers like Snap, Crackle, and Pulp. <laughs> it's all beginning to make sense where that where that illustrious career came from. And if you don't know what we're talking about, check back in our archives, the Creator Wrestler episode. Really fun. <laughs> yeah. I uh, just I had to get that in there because that's basically what it is, like the two different versions of China with one, like you said, being a heel, one being face. And both are dominatrixes, though, which is yeah. weird with the leather and uh, who knows. Um, so, yeah, we do get the match, uh, kind of, where it's uh, China versus Hardcore Holly. Uh, China hits Holly with the, the scale that stays in the ring for some reason. Um, then China hits a DDT. Jarrett runs out for the DQ in, what, like 90 seconds this match had to have gone at the most. Oh. Um, and then Mr. S runs out for the save, who then hits China with a Famouser and leaves. Uh, before we get to the Hatfields and the McCoys just after that, uh, what do you make of Mr. S coming out for the save and then just deciding to attack China? Did that track for you, or did it uh, fall a little short? It's just weird, again, with this era, like... You don't know who. There's some people you don't know if you're meant to hear for them or not because they act like a good guy, then they act like an arsehole. Then it's like you had you've had these two arguing for weeks. Uh, you had Billy Gunn challenging for the WWE title the night before, and then he comes in here. He looks like he's about to save China, and then I'm pretty sure he gets a pop as well for attacking China. Like, like who are we meant to be rooting for here? That I just, I just don't get, and I'm pretty sure they'll mention it later, but. Jarrett, like, he's had an interesting couple of days on the Raw and Smackdown, because on Raw he was having a match with, with Jacqueline where he basically just destroyed her. Oh, yeah, that, that recap that they, I think they showed a little later, but, like, the recap that they showed for Jared versus Jacqueline was just uncomfortable. Like, he is just whooping this woman's ass. Like, yeah. I mean, no no two ways about it. Yeah, it gets a little uncomfortable, like, towards the end, like, he's screaming at her, like, to send a message to to China, but I did like Jacqueline on Raw. She had a she had a, a promo beforehand. She said she hoped that Jarrett brought Miss Kay and Deborah out because it won't be the first time she smacked the heads of three blondes or three dumb blondes, as she says. Oh jeez. Um, I actually, I really do like as like problematic as this is. It is interesting to see that they did this storyline where Jeff Jarrett he's coming out and beating up women, but he's the heel. Like it makes sense. That he would be the heel and it, you know, I think that this is probably one of the better runs that Jarrett has, uh, like with the whole like, like uh, fighting women thing and being very misogynistic and stuff. And we'll get into it a little bit later, but uh, it ends up working out is what I'm trying yeah. to say. <laughs> uh, yeah. So Crash laughs at hardcore for uh, getting beat up by a woman. So they fight until it's broken up. Um, and then we cut backstage and we see uh, X-Pac leaving the arena, and Kane is shown brooding. Um, after the break, I believe it is, uh, Rock and Mankind arrive. Um, and Mankind's like, hey, do you like the new shirt? Um, after the Rock says that he let him ride in the trunk of his limo? <laughs> uh, did, did, did you catch that little thing where he's like, you know, hey, Rock, thanks for the ride. And he goes, man, the Rock lets you ride in the trunk of his limousine. And it's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. You put a human being who th who fell off of a cell last year, crunched up into the trunk of your car next to your like gym shorts, like yeah, what a so, douche. Yeah, the rock and he we says it as well as if like mankind's been complaining and he's carrying the bags, and like 
but basically like, well, I'll let you ride in the trunk. What more do you want? Like, Sith the Rock's like, what's this guy being so ungrateful for? Like, Yeah, exactly. I mean, and then, of course, you know, um, Mick Foley, Mankind says, do you like the new shirt that says um, what, testicular fortitude? And it's in that uh, the, the attitude uh, font. Um, and uh, Rock, you know, said, yeah, yeah, it's fine. It's fine. What do you think of it? And, uh, you know, it doesn't matter what you think. And <laughs> Mankind says that he really uh, he's going to have to try and steal that one. Uh, it doesn't matter what you, what you think. Um, so, you know, that, that their little relationship is adorable and I love it. Um, yeah. Like when it seemed like more like something that Jericho would do to Howard Finkel, and yet somehow you didn't you didn't uh, dislike The Rock as much as you do Jericho for taking advantage of Howard Finkel. Just, it's just think like it's because of how likable they both are and their relationship is. It's just like The Rock, like just like right before he walks, like in front of a camera, is just like taking an entire just like hand giant handful of like powdered confectioner sugar shoving it down his throat getting all hyped up and is just like saying words without thinking like he just boom 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 can't do any wrong with the fans you don't hate him no matter what he says to whomever he's saying it to i mean it's just i i, I mean the rock is just an absolute like unbelievable like star uh in such a short amount of time too because even last year he wasn't like he was over in 98 but he was not like this mega star that he already is here in '99. You can tell he's been set up to take over the the number one like spot, in, the spot, of the number one face in the company at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we end up uh, we go back to the ring uh, again uh, for another match where it's uh, Bradshaw with Farouk versus Bubba Ray Dudley and Devon. Uh, Dudley's get sort of a jobber entrance. I guess they didn't really have um, their music yet so i guess it sort of helped in the edit that they just sort of you know ended up in the ring um which uh as as an aside uh this always that uh, the jobber entrance always makes me think of uh k trevor stevens this uh standard comedian from uh canada he has a really great uh bit about jobber wrestlers where it's always uh let's see if i can remember it to paraphrase he says you know and then there was always a guy when you got back from commercial standing in the ring and he wasn't anybody specific. It was always like, from St. Paul, Minnesota, Scott. And then whoever came out of the curtain next was just going to whoop Scott's fucking ass. Um, and that's how it always feels to me is that, like, no matter what happens when the jobber is in the ring, you know that, like, something bad's going to go down. I appreciate you making me a part of this by using my name, by the way. No, I mean, that's actually the joke. Uh, if you get a oh, chance. Right. Yeah, uh, he's on a the Jimmy Kimmel live show. And he has like a short little, like, you know, late night set, like five minutes or whatever. Um, and, uh, he does a couple like self-referential jokes about how like fat he is and stuff. And then he says that he looks like one of those wrestlers that would be on screen, uh, when they cut back from commercial, um, and whatever, if, if you get a chance, just watch it. It's a uh, K Trevor Stevens on, uh, the late night, uh, no Jimmy Kimmel live. Uh, it's really funny, really funny guy. He's a uh, part of a show called Letterkenny in Canada. That's hysterical. But uh, back to the ring. Obviously, we uh, uh, we see Bradshaw and Bubba Ray just, I mean, beating the shit out of each other. I mean, Bubba is definitely the uh, the better wrestler. I mean, easily here. Uh, Bubba is definitely carrying what is you know the context of this match. They brawl out of the ring. There's apparently no countouts because you know 1999. Uh, you got these two tough as nails guys just kicking the shit out of each other. Um, and as 
Bradshaw starts to get a little bit of um, a leg up on Bubba. Devon runs in for the DQ, and the teams brawl, and the refs come out, and the Dudleys leave. Uh, so what do you make of this little confrontation between the Acolytes and the Dudleys? Yeah, like I think the reason behind Bubba having the, the jaw branches, as you said, because they weren't really sure what they had with the Dudleys because they'd had the public enemy come in a few months earlier, and we all know how that ended when they, they went up against the Acolytes. So I think it was just at this point, they're just kind of testing the Dudleys to see if they're going to be another, they're going to have another public enemy on their hands or what they've got. But like, I think this is just an excuse for them. They just, like you said, beat the hell out of each other, more specifically for Bradshaw, beat the hell out of Bubba Ray Dudley to see if he can take it. And I think this is also going to lead to a match at Unforgiven, so I don't think they needed to do much here. They just need to, just like you said, beat the hell out of each other. To uh, paraphrase uh, our buddy Nathan Greenaway on our uh, uh, Extreme Rules, uh, our drunken Extreme Rules uh, <laughs> breakdown uh, back in the feed, uh, sometimes you just want to see two big mountainous bastards running into each other. Mm-hmm. And that's what you got in that match. So, I mean, sometimes you can't, you can't complain. Just watching two big dudes beat the hell out of each other is always entertaining. Yeah, definitely. Uh, Lillian is with the boss man backstage uh, who says uh, Al Snow... Uh, and Bulldog pissed him off. Um, and then he just gets like, it was hard for me to like understand his rambling just because how like weirdly aggressive he was. I mean, even for a heel. I mean, I know it's silly to to say like, oh, he was being super aggressive towards the backstage interviewer. No, nah, but he was like in her face and screaming and just sort of like losing his place. Um, but apparently, you know, Bossman is not done with Al Snow. What'd you make of this interview here between uh, Bossman and Lillian? Well, I get what you're saying about how aggressive he's he's been to Lillian, but I just watched and I think like, well, it's, it's really with a, with a lot of things we'll see with boss man in the same. It's just easier to just look at it and think, well, that's just boss man being boss man because it just seems to be how he is. He's just a very evil, angry person. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so then we we're back to the ring. I mean, my neck is hurting just thinking about it. <laughs> um, Tess and Stephanie come out. Steph calls out Linda, Pat, and Jerry. Pat, Pat, Pat Patterson and Gerald Briscoe, Linda, uh, for an uh, announcement. They have set the date for their wedding, Raw, on October 11th. I wonder if uh, anything will happen during that wedding. We'll have to find out. Um, the Mean Street Posse come out with Terry, uh, who I guess is like the like older like oh. lady sorry, in the neighborhood who the Mean Street Posse bang. I don't know. Oh, sorry. There's, I may explain this. Sorry. Uh... Yeah, randomly, Meek shows up in a backstage interview on Raw, and he was maybe with Terry and like Jacqueline, and she, he said like, I don't want to be Meek anymore, and he tells his name, he's actually Sean Stasiak, and he talks about his dad, and then the Mean Street Posse come up to him, and this is the exact verbiage I believe they said like, that's cool, just one thing, nobody cares about your dad or your dad sucked or something like that, and they beat up <laughs> Sean Stasiak, and then they had a six-man tag later on with the the Stooges and Test and a six man against the Mean Street Posse. And the Posse Randley then come out with Terry Arnold. So I guess she said, I don't want meat sucks. So in her eyes, the Mean Street Posse are an upgrade somehow. Well, I guess in Terry's mind, three dicks are better than one. Um, <laughs> so they come out with uh, Terry. Um, Stephanie demands to be left alone. Um, by the Mean Street Posse, who uh, that that brings Shane out. 
uh, who sends the main, the Mean Street Posse away. Uh, and see, I, I just sort of wrote this very quickly. Um, the war with Test is over um, and kicks them out of the ring. Uh, and he goes and just apologizes for everything. Um, the crowd chants asshole throughout. And Shane ends up, you know, after acknowledging that he has been an asshole, which he has. Um, Shane gives his blessing for the wedding and tells Tess to always treat Stephanie right. And they shake hands. So love is in the air. Um, let's let's see if that sticks around. Um, spoiler, it doesn't. Um, Kane is walking around with a blowtorch. <laughs> in, in yeah, as you do. Uh, he did say he was going to burn the skin off of Triple H. So I guess the best way to do it is with an acetylene torch. You got to compliment the guy. At least he knows what like instruments to bring with him. Uh, Rock and Mankinder with Lillian. Uh, the, as I said, The Rock is an unbelievable talent. Um, he says, you know, you got those goosebumps running up and down your spine, Lillian. And she's just like, yeah. And he goes, well, then goosebump your ass out of here. <laughs> Fantastic. Fan-fucking-tastic. Um, and Mankind, I mean, not to sell Mankind short, he parodies the Bee Gees with, ooh, 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 buried alive, buried alive. <laughs> this promo was possibly my favorite thing on the entire show. This is just, I mean, so much, so much, so much fun. Um, the rock is just being the rock and mankind is, you know, doing his best to keep up with them. And he just does. Um, what are your feelings on the promo here? If I can go back to the, the in-ring segment for a moment, because we went through it, went through so much so quickly. Yeah, it's but, true. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> yeah. But like, the stuff playing on Raw, both on Raw and here when they came out of Linda, here in the studios come out to to Real American clearly uh, Dick at uh, Hogan like uh, a bit like something big in the 80s as JLR calls them when they came out and they said like, I don't mean the 80s as in the decade I mean 80s as in that's Patterson's age <laughs> like the idea of Linda walking down the ring to Real American as well is just baffling because a few weeks ago she was coming out to test his music and then, like, Shane clearly is, I guess, turning face with this whole, like, uh, I give you my blessing and all that. But, like, surely he should have done that a few weeks ago because the whole stipulation of of the thing match with him and Test was if he, if he lost, then he would give Test and that his blessing and he lost. And yet he was being an arsehole to them, the, the smackdown after SummerSlam. So, like, everything, like, he should have just done it a few weeks ago because that's what the stipulation and But then I guess they say, like, Oh, we're done with Shane as a heel. We need him as a face for now. But and having watched December to December the other day, it's weird seeing two very different versions of Tess because here he just seems like a lovely, lovely fellow. You wouldn't mind your daughter going out with. He came out on Raw. He got a big pop. He did most of the work because obviously look at who his two tag partners are. And then he came out on ECW with short hair and clearly roided to the gills, like. It's just weird to see how much test his foot falls after this angle. Yeah, it is. It is very weird to see the progression of test um, as you know we move toward his unfortunate uh, passing. I believe it was in two thousand eight, two thousand nine, something like that. Uh, but yeah, he comes out uh, and uh, on ECW, just I mean, looking like Jinder Mahal, just yeah. like I mean, allegedly, but like roided to the gills. As you said, it, it it was very nearly disgusting. One of the things, like, where did it all go wrong for you, Test? <laughs> or Andrews, keep calling him. Maybe, maybe we find out on October 11th. Maybe we see 
something that maybe changes test for the worse. Who knows? Maybe. But regards to the promo, I really enjoyed it. Like you can quickly tell this is these two guys who I doubt they even planned this before they started. Just like, okay, let's just see where this goes. Rock thinks, okay, goosebumps comes up with that line, and then Big Foley must be a fan of the Bee Gees, and he decided, I wonder if I can get a Bee Gees reference into this promo. Like it's just clear these two guys having fun, and it comes across on screen. You got to think that like after they cut. Uh... Uh, they after they went back to the arena and they cut after that promo, uh, Dwayne and Mick were just sort of just cracking up after <laughs> that. They were just probably so pleased with themselves because it's literally like the smoothest thing on the show. These guys have such great. I mean, we see it a little later on in the main event, but they have such good chemistry as a team against each other. Just like the stuff that they're willing to do for each other, both in promos and in the ring, is just fantastic. Um, MVPs of this of this era, uh, MVPs of the year, I'm going to say, so far with Rock and Mankind. Yeah, I definitely agree with that. Uh, back to the ring, we got the WWF Championship match, Triple H with China taking on Kane. China comes out with a sledgehammer in hand. Uh, Mula and May are shown at ringside. Uh Kane has a torch, and then the king says, um, my crown is very flammable <laughs> on commentary, which just, it made me laugh. Uh, king is just hilarious at this point. He just, almost everything he says is is a riot, you know? I mean, I'm sure King had reason to be worried, because on Raw, he was like one of three people on the show to refer to King as a big red retard throughout the course of the show. Like, Triple H said it, and then, which I get, they're both heels, and then The Rock calls him it before the tag match yeah and then there was a sign in the crowd um like right in the front row that uh it said like the big red retard and a midget or something for like the canon xbox tag team uh not not good not good 1999 not a good look um so then uh china distracts kane uh by saying that she can speak to xpoc for him uh on the mic uh, and then triple h low blows kane um to you know co- to capitalize on the distraction King, though, on commentary right at this point, calls uh, JR a big stone cold mark. Uh, Wow. I mean, just like coming out with like spitting venom on this guy who isn't even there to like defend himself. Um, That just like stood out to me as uh, I was I was watching this Um, fans. Go ahead. They would they would not show up on this whole show about Austin because they tease Austin would show up to SmackDown because. We had that pre-tape a few weeks ago, but I don't think Austin's been seen like in the arena since SummerSlam. So they were they were taping up he would be here, and the entire night Cole would uh, Terry Log kept asking him, "Well, you think Jr. is being serious? You think he's actually going to show up?" Uh, that Jr. is a liar and all that. Like, please shut up about Stone Cold. Yeah, for real. Like it just came up a little too much. Like they were trying to. I mean, I get it because at the time they're on network TV. They want to try and keep those eyeballs glued. So every few minutes you got to be like, hey, by the way, the most one of the most popular guys in the company is going to be here. And who knows what he's going to do? The whole will he be here? Will he not? Like the fact that you've mentioned them like 40 times in the first half hour makes me think, yes, you probably will be. Yeah. I mean, to, to look at it, though, with, uh, you know, 2019 eyes uh, like we we as like you know, intelligent enough wrestling fans will go, okay, we heard you, let's move on. But, you know, with a lot of like nine and 10 year olds at the time that they're trying to keep the attention of in the late nineties, 
you know, you had to just reinforce that and bring that home. Uh, I think anyway, I don't really remember. Um, so uh, fans are distracted by themselves on the screen uh, in the background. You can easily see them just sort of half paying attention to certain parts of this match. Um, and they're they're using the heat apron on one side of the ring. I don't know if you caught that uh, when yeah. Kane rolled out of the ring. This is weird. Just super yeah. weird. Um, Cole refers to a DDT as a bulldog at one point. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, there's a terrible big boot from Kane, but he follows it up with a great flying clothesline. I mean, he's closer to hitting the, like the floor than he is hitting triple H in the face with that big boot, but at least he redeems himself. And then China gets up onto the ring apron and hits Kane in the back with the sledgehammer. Mm -hmm. Um, and Jesus, I mean, I know that they used the, um, the rubber tipped, uh, sledgehammer, but just the image of like the sledgehammer making contact with like a human spine and that like terrible like that you hear when it hits them is just like woof um pedigree pinfall triple h wins and then uh before we get to the post-match angle what did you make of the match as a whole yeah i guess i noticed the the heat will go on the side uh, i wasn't sure if you'd, you'd picked up on that as well i don't think a lot of people would really like I don't think it was one of those details that a lot of people would have cared about. Like at the time, like I really enjoyed the match. It's good to see Kane in these like high-profile matches, and then we have China back at the split personality again. Because earlier on she's standing up to hardcore and to Jeff Jarrett for womankind, and then she's having Triple H cheat to retain the title, and like the whole like she can talk to X Pac thing. I think it goes back to like earlier on in the year they had a they were teasing a thing between Kane and China like when they were both part of the corporation before uh, they turned on Kane but I'll say that's a few months more than a few months ago so they've already forgotten about that in storyline terms. And yeah, definitely. So, yeah, and you notice the way I didn't notice this until I think it was W pointed out, but you notice the way Kane takes the pedigree. I can never not notice this the way it puts like one knee down to lessen the impact. Yeah, I think uh, just because he's such a bigger guy that, like, even when um, uh, Hunter is, like, setting him up for it, there is sort of, like, a Hunter sort of gets up on his tiptoes a little bit uh, just because, like, the size of Kane, especially at this time, is, like, huge. Mm -hmm. So Triple H goes to hit Kane with the sledgehammer again, and then uh, Undertaker and Show come out and confront Kane, and then they just cut away. Yeah. Um, there's no explanation. Like, like what happened there? You would think that they've been building this whole thing up, you know, for a big portion of the show. And then just to cut away like super quickly, it just seemed like a little bit of like a misstep for me. Um, how did that come across to you? Yeah, it just seems so random. Like they keep having these guys like get involved and in helping Kane, but they like, don't give any explanation. I seemed like this was the time to really give some context to it. They just cut away. I'm assuming that we, Kane's like trying to be more normal with Xbox and now that's seemingly falling apart now that they're on a break that Taker and Big Show are maybe trying to get them to join their whole alliance thing but like that's never actually explained yeah it just it seemed very weird for them to just like there's they stare at each other for what feels like half a second and then it cuts to uh Shamrock looking for Jericho like right away yeah um so as I said uh, we move on to Shamrock looking for Jericho, who then comes out and cuts a promo, uh, says that he wants to 
uh, he wants a face to face with Jericho in the ring or he'll find his punk ass and beat him like a stepchild. Weird. Uh, wasn't wasn't sure why he decided to use that turn of phrase where I don't know. Jericho isn't as far as I know, anyone's stepchild. He gives him 10 seconds. He waits, he waits, he waits, he waits. And just as he's about to like go up the, uh, the ramp and Jericho doesn't respond, his music, uh, hits, we get the whole countdown and whatnot. Jericho doesn't respond, uh, until, uh, Ken walks out of the ring and, uh, he can you see Jericho in a shark cage in the ring. As he turns around, he taunts Shamrock with, um, like pictures of like him in the lion tamer uh, in the back from last week. And he insults him. And then as uh, Shamrock does end up grabbing that, the bat that he has in the shark cage, he says, you know, okay, raise this, this stupid shark cage up. Let's, let's get, let me get me out of here. Get me out of here. They cut backstage to Fink being distracted by Lillian, who is real pissed um, about getting, um, you know, dogged by the Fink on Raw. Um, so instead of raising the cage, um, Fink is then distracted. Shamrock then goes Super Saiyan and bends the bars and beats the holy hell out of Chris Jericho, loses his shit on the refs and the officials. Um, what would you make of this whole mess of uh, back and forth like segment here? I really hope Shamrock at no point in the future tried to adopt a tail because this is the kind of thing for each of the witch show us evidence as to why he's unsuitable for that kind of thing because like as you said like where did he where did he get that face is i really hope it's not a case of shamrock has a, a upsetting past that we all don't know about here and that's where he got the the phrase from but moving on to the, the segment like one thing i took away from this is how did jericho exactly sneak a, a shark cage into the ring without shamrock noticing i know he was walking up the ramp but Still, a shark cage still a, re- a, de- a reasonable size thing, and it has to fit Jericho in. Like, how did he not notice the shark cage? Yeah, like, it, he has to get that whole shark cage contraption into the arena, get mm-hmm. it rigged, get all the way up to the top of the arena, and then get lowered down in 10 seconds. And I, I don't know, especially after the Owen Hart thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Earlier in the year, I'm surprised that they would do like anything like this, where yeah, but, someone is lowered from the rafters at some point. And like, I believe it's probably this experience that made Jericho so traumatized to go in a shark cage back in 2017 when he had to be raised in a shark cage for Kevin Owens' match with Roman Reigns. Just with the idea of going in a shark cage just gave him horrible PTSD flashbacks to this moment with Ken Shamrock. Absolutely. I mean, that's a good pull. That's a good pull. I, I had forgotten until we started talking about this that Jericho was in a shark cage again, you know, some 17 years later. Um, a, a sexy pinata, as he referred to himself back then. Yeah, yeah. Um, so during the break, uh, it's shown that uh, Jericho fired Fink and uh, drove off uh, in an effort to uh, get away from Ken Shamrock. So poor Fink, he's on the losing end of his storied rivalry with Tony Schimmel. And now he's been fired. He's going to be left out in the lurch. I guess uh, we're going to find out. Hopefully we find out what happens to Fink and he doesn't just disappear because I need some sort of resolution to this. Yeah, no, I just feel I just feel bad for Fink. Just every every week, it just seems to get worse for him. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Jeff Jarrett comes out with uh, Deborah and Kitty in tow. 
Uh, he says that he's embarrassed to get into the ring at Unforgiven with a woman. Where uh, And then King is just like, well, you're in the ring now with two women. What's the <laughs> difference? Like, on commentary. King is just on fucking point in this episode. It just kills me that he's so good right now. Um, it's, it's uh, a strange world when King is the one speaking logical. Yeah, when, when King is the voice of reason. You know, especially yeah. in a puppies and kitties segment. Um, mm-hmm. And then now these are Jeff Jarrett's words, 2019 people. So this is what he said. OK, I was raised to believe that there that a woman's place is in the kitchen, barefoot and pregnant. <laughs> Damn. Oh. Um, yeah, I mean, he just he just fucking went right. He drove that truck right off of a cliff and was happy about it the entire time. Um, Jeff then invites uh, Mula into the ring and um, she uh, she gets asked, like, well, you wouldn't step into the ring with a man. And she says in her infinite wisdom, well, they knew that if I had gotten into the ring with them, then I'd kick their ass and China's going to kick your ass, too. So Jeff Jarrett hits her with a the guitar. There is justice in the world. Uh, fuck the fabulous Moolah. Um So he hits Moolah with a guitar and uh, May comes in and she gets a figure four leg lock. Uh, both, uh, Deborah and Miss Kitty are just losing their shit at the time. This is just here to strengthen, uh, Jeff Jarrett as a heel. Um, what did you make of it? Yeah, like, I dig it. One thing I don't like about Daryl or whenever Jarrett comes out is that he doesn't even call Deborah and Miss Kitty by their names. He just calls them the puppies and the kitty. He didn't call them Deborah or Miss Kitty. He just, no, just that's what, that's what they are to him and that's all the crowd are interesting because that's all their chant. They're always chanting for puppies whenever Jarrett's speaking. Like, it's really hard to like boo. Like for them, a it's weird that they're portraying a guy like Jarrett as a sexist and a misogynist when the whole when they're presenting the rest of their women is just like, look at them, look at the size of her tits. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like that's probably why they have her with Jane because she's the only person that they haven't like done that with so like I remember when I seen uh, Mula with in the crowd with me young I just thought ah I'm sh- am I cynical like what can I looking back at like I'm trained when you focus on something in the crowd you're like that's definitely gonna come into play so when I saw those two I'm like oh I'm sure that won't come into play at any point later on in the night and then Jarrett just smashes the guitar over her head and then puts me young in a figure four even daring Miss Kitty don't even can't even defend them. Um, so the, it's just it, it's weird because of the way that you know Jerry Lawler like does you know like objectify Deborah and Kitty, um, but then he ends up like marrying Miss Kitty like in a couple of years after this. Like it's just like did she watch the show back or did she was she just into older men and didn't give a fuck? Like I don't know. I'm just very very confused how that all t- ends up turning out. Yeah. Um, so moving on from that big show and taker are shown backstage briefly, uh, I guess sort of preparing, getting their strategy together for the big buried alive tag team title match. That's happening a little later on. There is a Val Venus promo for enter the big, big Valboski. And when I saw that title, I was very concerned about what character traits might be occurring in 1999 <laughs> for a moment, but it was not to be, it was just, you know, big Val just laying in bed, Talking about how uh, he uses his instruments of love, not war. Ha, penis puns. 
Um, any thoughts on the Enter the Big Valboski uh, promo where he says that he's going to use his weapons of love, not war, on the lethal weapon, Steve Blackman? Well, I just don't because you see him, he's in bed with this no-name woman, and I don't think he was. They don't think they really care to give her a name, but basically, he's, you can see him with. I believe they're the weapons that he stole from Blackman on Raw. So basically, he's in the application that he's going to do something very unsettling with uh, Blackman's weapons. Do you think the lethal weapon is going to enter the big Valboski? Possibly. Do you think he's going to get one of those? Like, I don't. Know, I don't even want to think about it. It is now time for the main event of the evening. Big Buried Alive match for the WWF Tag Team Titles. Big Show and The Undertaker taking on The Rock and Mankind. Uh, Mankind, again, sort of just gets in the ring before The Rock can even make his entrance. And when he does, uh, Taker meets him on the ramp. Rock and Mankind work really well together, as I said earlier. Um, It's just chaos everywhere the whole time. Uh, Cole runs off from commentary briefly. You know, I mean, I have some questions about the, the dirt. But before we get to that... What do you make of all of this chaos that ensues here? I was going to say, the timekeepers are very loose for when they decide to start the match. Because, like, this is, like, the second or third time when we've been doing this where it's, like, a tag match. Somebody doesn't get to the... One of the competitors isn't even in the ring yet, and they've chosen to start the match. Like, like do they not... Does the timekeeper not know the rules of, like, a tag match that it has to be all four? Guys, or does he just not care? Just I guess they just didn't care. And then I think somebody gets thrown over the table, and Cole gets his headset knocked off, and he's he's off commentary for it because he keeps banging around the table. And then to what point, Jerry Lawler then realizes that Michael Cole isn't there, and keeps shouting like, "What the hell is Michael Cole?" Yeah, he just he just like the it, it was even like said earlier in the evening where like uh somebody's like by them at one point, and uh, King just goes, "What are you scared?" and Cole's like, yeah, dude, these guys are gigantic. Um, so, all right. So how much dirt classifies as covered? And eventually, after enough failed attempts, like, how could you even bury somebody if all the dirt has been wasted? Would you then have to, like, lay them on top of the, the dirt or would you have to move the dirt off? Because there's a lot of, like, failed attempts at burials um, here. So it's just, I don't know, that, that just came to my mind at 3.30 in the morning when I was watching this. Um, it just, it, it just, it bothers me. Like how much could, because the, the first one, um, uh, mankind and the rock are like, you know, shoveling dirt on the big show. And like, I've seen these matches end with like two or three shovels of dirt, you know, and then it's over. Um, so like, it just, it struck me as weird as like, well, is the referee standing there, is it up to them? Is it like, are they have to be like totally covered i don't don't know just like something that really just bothered me um let's see the okay let's just talk about it the second worst landing in mankind's like entire career yeah um the big show throws at least 280 pound mcfoley clear off the stage over to the burial site who lands super hard at the edge of the grave and flies in Oh my God! Why? Why, Mick? <laughs> Just because he's Mick Foley. Yeah, I guess. Um, he's he's able to stand up and still hit Sako and still like wrestle after this, like and still like brawl for a little bit after that. It was just unbelievable. 
Rocket Taker battle backstage. Rocket uh, Rocket gets attacked by Triple H. Kane gets his revenge. China hits Kane with a chair, who no sells it. Um, it. I mean, like I said, it's just chaos everywhere. Taker comes back to the gravesite. Mankind refuses to stay down. The Rock comes back out. There's very little dirt left, which just leads me to you know still worry about how they're even going to end this match on time. Triple H comes out and uh, hits show from behind with. Uh, the sledgehammer um, and that cell job where like uh, he gets hit with the, the the sledgehammer to the back of the head and just sort of like falls and slides down the mound of dirt. I mean, stellar performance, stellar. Um, and then Triple H starts burying mankind and somehow Taker and show win the WWF tag team titles with Triple H's help uh, before we get to the closing uh, angle of the show. What? <laughs> yeah. Like, first off, the, the way McFoley takes that bump, we, if I did bounces and then rolls into the grave, and you look at bumps, I was like, it's no wonder McFoley walks the way he does when you see him now. And, like, it's like, it really varies depending on which barrel I match you're watching, like, how much dirt they need to burn because it, as it turns out bizarrely watching a man shovel dirt into a hole is not as entertaining as you might as you might think and then like the whole thing with triple h getting involved and he's attacking the rock and triple h a uh, thing kane so sounds as if they want triple h to have like triple h to piss off model view because they want to have maybe multiple challengers at unforgiven on september 26 maybe five or six perhaps who knows? Foreshadowing. Like, I couldn't, re- I just thought of a thing there and I just can't resist it. But the idea of Triple H burying someone and then he suddenly gets up, I feel like, I quite enjoy this. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> He's just up there going, like, huh, I wonder if I can lo- lobby this into a furthering of my career. Huh. All I right. Just, I should do this more often. I've been looking for a new hobby. <laughs> I just love filling in holes with dirt. Huh. <laughs> Who knew? Um, so then, uh, after, after the match, an ambulance approaches, um, and the, we all know that it has to be only one person. Mm-hmm. The crowd knows we at home know, and Austin busts out his music starts for some reason weird. Um, but he returns and attacks triple H puts him in the ambulance, uh, drives the ambulance out back. And, um, if, if I, if I may, can I just indulge my, my, my podcasting forefathers real quick. Uh-huh. Um, he then hits that motherfucker with a truck. And uh, like Jesus Christ, um, murder, murder and mayhem. He mm-hmm. hits it with a truck and then just slams on the gas until it is just like boom, 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 boom. I mean, he destroys that ambulance with that truck. Um, what do you make of the uh, on-screen murder of Triple H? Oh, the fact that his music played has me thinking that maybe the guy in charge of sound is maybe as cynical a wrestling fan as you or I. But like, he's saying like even he sees the I'm just going like that's clearly awesome. I'm just gonna cue up that music. Just like to think like you said, it's clearly murder as you said. So we he, he ran into that ambulance like it's not the way Austin mind works. Like you. Beat the hell of my legs with a chair, and you wrote a good friend of mine's arm. What's the logical retaliation? Vehicular murder. Well, yeah, I mean, we saw it earlier that it's just everywhere in in 
the late nineties in WWF where like, uh, uh, Mula simply says that she thinks China's going to win the match and kick his ass. And she gets hit in the face with a guitar, you know? So like everybody just seems to have, you know, this whole, well, if you break my finger, I'm going to chop your arm off sort of mentality. And I guess, you know, it gets them to where they want to be. I mean, I guess uh, Stone Cold loves the untouchables. He sends one ahead to the hospital. He sends one to Triple H just to the morgue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, th- that ambulance too. It just, I mean, it looks like a balled-up piece of aluminum thrown carelessly into the trash. You know, like wow. Um, so that's this episode of SmackDown. Um, what is your rating for this episode, Scott? I just say we're seeing guys like basically murdered by like trucks ramming into them and people getting buried alive yet no police are calling yet in 96 Remus you gets thrown into the side of a trailer and the police are getting called and WCW like just goes to show the priorities of, of people in the late 90s but if I had to say like my reign I'd probably give this an up because it wasn't nearly as chaotic as as last as last episode and there was a lot to enjoy with I like the main event was chaotic. Uh, Al Snow randomly dressing as Lee Cassidy and getting the hardcore belt back was fun. Uh, the Rock Rockin' Mankind's promo was hilarious, and uh, my boy Kane in a WWE title match was not the love. So I can't really give us anything else other than it up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this is another thumbs up episode for me. Um, there were a couple little you know, little things here and there, but again, nothing uh, stuck around long enough to get like intrusive or annoying or bad, like overly bad. Um, Everything was entertaining. Everything moved at such a breakneck pace. There's no way to be like, like unentertained. And it's just like, when you go back and watch these late nineties, WWF shows, and then you look at the current roster today, you know, these, maybe they could learn something from, the way Vince Russo put these shows together, you know, just everything's got to move pretty quickly. They got to stop spoon feeding things to everybody and just sort of try and make an entertaining spectacle of a show. And I think that they did that from top to bottom that mankind nearly killing himself again for our enjoyment. Um, mankind and the rocks promo Austin's return, Austin murdering triple H for getting, you know, hit with a chair in the leg a few times. Um, King on commentary, Mula getting a guitar to the face. There's nothing else that you can give this than a thumbs up. Um, yeah, so that's uh, SmackDown episode three. Scott, what are your plugs? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at ScottMcLeod1996. Uh, you can get uh, my podcast, the other podcast, Scott and Paul's Rambling podcast, on Twitter at SB Rambling. Find all our links. We're on pretty much run anchor, same as Rogue Opinions, so you can find us all the same places you would find this podcast uh we've got a, a good a show coming up this weekend where we're going to be talking all about this past week in terms of wrestling like extreme rules and the the return of bray wyatt and basically anything else when i talk about it's very much a conversational podcast where we talk about really all everything and every, everything and like i'm just rambling now so should <laughs> <laughs> end you can hear more of this but with somebody else there and we talk about frazier sometimes well, what a bet! Like, what a better plug for Scott and Paul's rambling podcast than to just ramble aimlessly about Scott and Paul's rambling podcast. It's a little meta, and I think you're definitely going to get a couple more listeners just out of that plug alone. Hopefully, but 
yeah, like I said, if you want to hear an example of me not enjoying a podcast, then you can listen to me and Nathan be forced to review ECW December to Dismember on our back catalogue. If you want to hear us enjoy a podcast, then you should check out the Creator Wrestler podcast that we mentioned earlier on. Yeah, that that is one of my favorite episodes that we have done here since since starting Rogue Opinions. I, I love the Kayfabe Court series and stuff, but just like the level of fun that we had during that Creator Wrestler episode is just something that you got to hear. Um, also, if you want to hear um, me and Nathan ramble about uh, the Extreme Rules pay-per-view that happened over the weekend, uh, drunkenly, might I add, um, please check it, check that out as well. Uh, I'm at Mr. Riot on Twitter, M-R-R-I-0-T. Uh, also, follow MCPod23. That's my other podcast, the Moose Crew podcast. Um, I'm planning on getting something together over the next week with uh, a couple of local indie wrestlers and uh, my former co-host from when we were doing that podcast last year. Uh, so follow us over there and uh, let us know what you think once we're up and running again. Um, and also follow us at Rogue underscore Opinions on Instagram and Twitter. Thank you very much for joining us. We're going to go to the front desk now and check back out of the SmackDown Hotel because their hourly wages are ridiculous. Uh, <laughs> thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, and we will see you again next time. Thank you.